I've just, I've literally just got in the door, sat down, and I'm just ready to go. So let's do this. This is Levon Aronian, and you're listening to The Full English Breakfast with Lawrence Trent and Stephen Gordon. This is episode five in the Collector's series of The Full English Breakfast. Glad that we made it to episode five after uh, just one month. And I'm very pleased to be joined by International Master Lawrence Trent and Grandmaster Stephen Gordon. And how are you? I'm loving this. Uh, uh, all of these 2800s listening in, this is great. Only 2800s can do the intro, though, McCordy. Make sure that's uh, in writing, yeah? Well, you know, now we've got three of them, so I guess we'll be good for one more show as long as I can get uh, Vichy to agree to it. Yeah, and if all else fails, just get anybody over 2800 on the ICC. Just don't tell anybody that we're doing it. So, what's new? We've, we've only gone a month. This is uh, historic for the Full English Breakfast. Well, we're both excited. I mean, I saw Trent a couple, couple of weeks ago, is it now, Trent? Yeah. Now we, for the British League. Yeah, we didn't play that well, did we? <laughs> well, I mean, let's not talk about the chess. It was yeah, nice I'm, to see him, you know. Lawrence yeah. is good in small doses, that's what I say. A bit unfortunate about how our chess was going, but there's other things in life. There are, and uh, that's why we like to talk about it and not actually play it that much nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about the man of the month uh, who was kind enough to do our intro, Levin Aronian, after breaking 2800 uh, in the European Club Cup at Plovdiv. He uh, then went on to tie for first at the Tal Memorial and win clear the World Blitz Championship. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, really? I, I don't know if you remember, Steve, many, many years ago, sort of eight years, maybe something around that, I remember watching Lev uh, Hastings playing the Premier, and he was a 2,500-ish GM, and he was floating around 25 and 26, I think, for quite a while, and then suddenly, I think he probably decided, right, I'm actually quite good at this, I'm going to start working. And since then, he's such a consistent player, and I think... I think Kramnik, as well, as, as, as said on many occasions, that he really rates him. And it hasn't surprised me one bit that he did well in the Town Memorial, won this Blitz Championship. Obviously a phenomenal Blitz player as well. And I think he fully deserves going over 2,800. So I think it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And he's a top bloke as well, from what I hear too. That's it. He's made this consistent rise. You know, his rating's not just jumped at any point he's just been moving say maybe 10 points or less something like that you know there's been one or two players who made who made massive jumps one that i remember is uh, david navarra a few years back mm. was he was around 2650 and then in the next list 2725 and he's something like six in the world but you know his, his rating went right back down again Straight away, mm -hmm. almost, and like that's never been the case with Aronian. He's always, he's always moved up, and he's he's matching the top guys now, and it's good to see him at twenty eight hundred. You know, he's uh, he's competing for the top spot off Carlson, and still only uh, twenty in his late twenties, twenty eight, I believe. And like you said, has been very consistent, posting one of his best uh, career results in winning the uh, the Grand Prix series, of course, and now here in the Tal Memorial, tying with uh, Sergei Karyakin. What do you think of, of the Tal? We ended up with a sort of a three-way tie for first, although Aronian and, and Karyakin were were actually exactly tied through four tie breaks and Mamadyarov taking the third place. I know Mamadyarov got off, off to a flyer, didn't he? So and then he, he was leading to the last round and then he lost it, to, he lost in the last round to Gelfand. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I remember it. that loss. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a fantastic tournament, wasn't it? I think Kramnik will be slightly disappointed with only four and a half out of nine. I know he only did half score there. Uh, but a great tournament for, for Mamajarov. Shame he couldn't win it. I, he'll be desperately disappointed uh, not to have won that, actually, with, with a round to go. Karyakin had a very solid performance. And again, Lev went undefeated as well. I mean, the guy is just so solid. Um, with the white, but you just don't want to play the guy at all. He just grinds people like Gelfand and, and even Kramnik. He just, just, all these positional, very smite, you know, small advantages. He just, he, he's a bit like Kramnik, I suppose, in that way, because he's got that ability to, to really grind away. And, um, I, I would just say that Lev is, for me, not even an outsider to win this world championship. I think he, uh, the candidate matches, I think he is really up there with the favourites and all of the other top guys respect him. Uh, I mean, really respect him. Well, Mohamed Yarov uh, pointed out that uh, against his first-round opponent in the candidates, Boris Gelfand, he's minus four in classical chess. Yeah, I wonder how much these things will play on the mind. You know, if you've got a negative score against uh, someone you've got in a candidate's match, it's... I know from my own experience, I remember, I do remember the guys who I've got a negative score against, you know, they're the sort of people that I'm looking to get the next time. So it might provide a bit of extra motivation, you know, to take this guy down. That'll make him determined to turn up really well prepared for it. Well, speaking of motivation and the candidates, uh, that segues nicely into our big story uh, just at the start of the Tal that kind of eclipsed the tournament in the early rounds, which was Magnus Carlsen's decision to withdraw from the candidates' matches. He would have faced Rajabov, uh, but citing a lack of motivation um, uh, based on the uh, sort of unfair and unmodern uh, championship cycle that uh, that FIDE has in place. Yeah, well, I yeah. guess the question is, you know, how much should you um, give to Anand for being the world champion? You know, do you just do you just put him in a champions match and say, all right, you you world champion, but we're going to put you in at the same level as everyone else who's playing for this title this time? In my opinion, he should have some right to get an easier road to the final. All right, not necessarily just being put in the final. One suggestion that I made to Lawrence the last time I saw him was um, you could have it similar to, you know, the the Super League rugby in England. They have they have mm. eight seeds. And what happens is the, the top four seeds get some benefits to, to coming in those places. So one would play four. The way, if, you, if you rank them one, two, eight, one would play four. Two plays three. This is the first round. And five plays eight, six plays seven. Okay, so out of one, which would be, let's say for sake of argument, seeded one would be Anand. Seeded four, let's say it's Kramnik. So it'd be Anand, Kramnik in the first game. Whoever loses that game still gets a shot. And they play the winner of five against eight. The winner of uh, one against four goes through to a semi-final. So in that way, say Anand loses his first match against Kramnik, he's still got a chance. You know, he could be playing a player like Mamajarov the next the next time. And then mm. two two against three and six against seven. So the loser of two against three plays the winner of six against seven. If you're a top four seed, you're getting some extra benefit of doing that. So maybe there could be some way of sorting out who you give the benefits to. I, I know that system, and that, and that is an interesting system, but I think there's a one flaw with it. You can't really... Yes, they are the official seeds, but when do you take the rating from? 
because, you know, these lists come out every couple of months now. And we all know that it's very difficult to compare, you know, a 2780 compared to a 2790 who might go from fourth to fifth or fifth to fourth in the space yeah, of two months. Change, isn't it? it's, yeah, it's not a massively reflective on their success personally. Um, I think the whole system is still in a, in a huge problem, actually. I, I, I don't see how FIDE... I mean, I can see the intent there to, to really try and unify it and make it a lot more simple and return to the old days, which I think, I think the majority of the GMs have actually endorsed this new system. And I think it is very good in many ways. I have to admit that I think Carlson's decision is slightly disappointing. He has got various points and there are his own personal points and he's got the right, of course, to, to choose not to play. But at the same time, I, you know, I think you have to respect that it's difficult for everybody after all the, the real cock-ups FIDE has made, that getting a real simplified system and one that works really quickly it was always going to be difficult um so you know it's disappointing for chess fans as well that he won't be playing because he is the hottest thing in chess at the moment and am i right in thinking again that if he doesn't take part then he can't actually challenge for the world championship for another five years is that right well, of course, it remains to be seen exactly how long the next cycle would be, but uh, I would say the conventional wisdom is that, yeah, it would be at least three years, uh, so maybe there's some solution for 2015, but, you know, <laughs> with FIDE, you never know. Yeah, I know, and, and let's just say that held, held up, Steve. I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but let, let's, let's speak hypothetically. If the guy really puts in some big performances and gets to 2850, and suddenly, you know, somebody who's really shooting up the 2800 level isn't playing in the world championship people are going to start asking questions again i mean maybe it will make the honor of being the world champion less you know because carlson yeah he's the hottest thing in chess isn't he if he's not if he's not bothered about the world championship well of course he is but if he doesn't think it's uh, being done in the right way and he's just he's just going to shoot off to 2850 possibly then it's not going to be as prestigious for you, the you world that, champion. You think that will devalue the actual title? Well, it of could do. But, yeah. it, but as well, I mean, the switch that Magnus is suggesting, he, he, you know, he's, he's comparing it to, he'd like it to be more like a football World Cup. Well, people will find it difficult to adapt to that change because there have been 14, 15 world champions. I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the figure, but, you know, we're between 10 and 20 absolute world champions. And... If the system changed to what Magnus is suggesting, you know, conceivably in, a, in maybe 10, 15 years, you could double the amount of world champions that we've had. Mm. So it's, it's a difficult one, really. I it's think really his, his suggestion really is he's trying to modernize the cycle so that maybe, maybe it'll be more commercial that way, you know, maybe you get a wider audience being involved, which would be great for chess. But at the same time, it's, it's nice to have a household name. Um, as your world champion, which you may not have if it's if if you're going to do one of these uh, say all play all tournaments to decide the world champion every year. Well, certainly the analogy to football was pretty uniformly criticised by uh, the fans. Uh, so there was a, a tremendous amount of discussion going on in a variety of blogs, uh, notably on uh, ChessVibes.com, which had uh, something like 800 comments over the few posts that were devoted to it. Uh, some of those uh, comments uh, were actually passed along to uh, the Carlson uh, management team, including his father, Henrik, and his, his ma business manager, Espen Agderstein. 
and uh, they responded to those on Chess Vibes. But I want to read you one comment from uh, actually uh, Mick Greengard's The Daily Dirt, uh, which was left by a guy named String Theory. He says, Magnus's point about football teams not being seeded into the finals is ridiculously stupid. Football is a team game, and in a period of four years, sometimes the entire team may be made of new players, so it's not the same team anymore and may not be as good anymore. Mm. I think Anand will still be Anand after two years. Such a system of needing to dethrone the current world champion is, of course, not just seen in chess, but most individual sports where the title of world champion exists. Mm. That's an interesting point as well. I mean, making this comparison with football, I mean, he's right. I mean, football has 11 players and chess only has one. And if you, in my case, only half a player. Um, so, you know, there, that, is a, that is a very valid point. Um, so this is where my doubts about Magnus's decision really comes into play. But, you know, I think we're just going to have to get on with it. And it will still be a fantastic tournament. I mean, there's still some fabulous players there. It's pretty open, isn't it? I mean, the, the playing four-game matches, you know, anything can happen. You know, the stakes are raised massively on, you know, one mistake. If you start off with a loss, you know, if you turn up to that first game and you're not fully there, then it's it's a shame it happens like that. But, you know, there's got to be some way of doing a world championship cycle so that it doesn't last forever. But, yeah, I mean... Lev's as, uh, Lev's as good a shout as anyone for me. But today I was, I don't know, maybe doing boxing before the round was not the best idea today. What boxing? Well, no, I was just practicing some boxing with a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with gloves or what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like box, actual boxing gloves? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why do you have to have actual boxing gloves with you? <laughs> No, no, I, I've got them in the gym. <laughs> wow, wow. If, you, if you do that again, call me. Let's get okay. some photos. Sure, sure. Let's not forget, you know, him winning the, the Blitz Championship. It's not like he, he can't see a tactic or two. The guy's phenomenal. He's just a complete player now. For the most part, I mean, Aronian won the tournament, but I thought he was a bit of a champion at swindling people. You know, he got into a few tough positions and pulled it out the bag. In fact, one of them against he had a he had a really strange game against Savchenko on the final day, and uh, he turned a completely lost position into a win. It was just it was just incredible. So, you know, if uh, if listeners get a chance to watch it, you know, go and have a look for that one. So yeah, I mean, I saw some of the live streaming that was going on, which I thought was excellent because it's so frustrating to watch on either. You know, one of the ICC or play chess, and it's not—it's not their fault. But there's so many relaying errors in these quick games that you know some some move gets programmed in, and then you know five minutes later they realise that two rooks are still on the board that shouldn't be there, and they have to go all the way back. So it was—it was really awesome to see some of this live feed, and you know, I got—I got quite addicted to watching it. You know, I may maybe watched a couple of hours of it. Yeah. Trenty, have you been uh, you've been watching Naka play a bit of Blitz? Have you on the video stream? Well, I, I won't say. I, I think I've got fifty percent against him on the ICC. Actually, he'll be delighted oh. to hear that. I think I've played him once randomly. Um, so uh, obviously, no, he's a top Blitz player, and he's uh, he's obviously broke every sort of record there's around. But um, yeah, I had a look at. I didn't get the chance to watch it live, unfortunately. Um, but what I did see is this video's clips that they. I think they put it on. It was um, Russia Chess, wasn't it? RussiaChess.com. The clips were on there, were they? And um, 
I just remember, I remember this game he played against Caruana and he blundered his queen. Oh, it was brilliant. Um, and he, you know, he banged his piece down because I think genuinely he thought, right, this is where I'm going to show all of you how good I am at blitz. And he didn't even finish in the top three. So he'd be desperately disappointed with that. But, uh, no, it was fantastic to get this video to have the live. Um, video there really adds another dimension now to this whole experience so I'm hoping that a lot of other tournaments perhaps can learn from this and uh, especially the quick play tournaments it's so good to see the, the top players' reactions when they play. It's awesome to see the reactions. I mean, look at the difference between the way Aronian sits there in his in his blitz games and the way Naka's sitting there. You know, there's loads of movement from Nakamura. Like yeah. almost every other move, he's shaking his head because you know he's missed something or he's he's banging out a move with some aggression. And yet, you know, Aronian sits there still as anything, and he's just he's just focused as anything. I mean, these guys. I love Nakamura for the way that he um, he's doing a bit of trash talk before the games, and that's what we need, you know. We need some players with a profile. Ev- everybody knows about Nakamura because he plays fast blitz, you know, he's outspoken. I just think it's really good. You know, I'm sure, like, if I was facing him, and he blundered against me and he was shaking his head like, I'd be getting really mad. I don't think he'd be <laughs> shaking know? his head. I he, think if he, he probably wouldn't, you know. Steven, I think that would be the last time we ever see him in a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. I mean, the thing is, he probably wouldn't be shaking his head because he'd know I'd blunder back on the next He'd move. probably be trying to eat the pawns that he's taken off the board and <laughs> just see if he could stomach them. It's, it's very funny seeing how these people, as you said, Steve, approach the game, especially in Blitz. Kramnik's great to watch in Blitz, in my opinion, because he's all very calm and collected, and then he makes a huge, huge... Huge blunder, and then he'll bang out the hand. Up he gets, doesn't press the clock or anything like that, and just shaking his head and walks away. But he's very like that. The games finish, and then it seems to be a new game of who can leg it out of the room the quickest. <laughs> because it's they true. shake hands, and then you don't see them. Then there's a flash, and then they've gone. You know, they just legged it somewhere. So I wonder, I wonder where they go after that. Evanchuk's a bit like that, isn't he? I remember Evanchuk. He might actually hold the world record for getting off your chair quickest. I think he actually did that in point one of a second once. I saw him, you know, almost leapfrog out of his chair, out of the playing hall. So, um, no, nah, but it's great. I, I think it was such a good success. And so many top players weren't there. And some of the younger players were there as well, like Savchenko, Nepomniachi. And all yeah, that. I enjoyed watching his games, you know, Nepomniachi. He looked like a, you know, very decent player in some of these. Okay, it's just Blitz, but he was definitely competing with these top guys. And it's, oh, yeah. it's nice to see a few uh, fresh names in these tournaments. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting stuff. Well, you can still find some of the uh, edited highlights from the Blitz on Chess Vibes, as well as lots of amateur video shot and posted to YouTube. And speaking of uh, live streaming, a uh, quick program note, you guys will be hosting the commentary in London at the London Chess Classic, and I've uh, recently signed on to produce that show. Oh, fantastic. Oh, quality. What a lad. So, so we'll, it's, it's all going on, isn't it? We'll be bringing some, some uh, top-class live coverage uh, to Classical Chess uh, in December, December 8th through 15th. That's right. You know, guys, if, if you do get the opportunity to come, not just to the commentary, but to the tournament, I can say from experience, because last year was fantastic, and this year is better, because we've got the world champion playing as well. So if you get a chance to come to London, 
there'll be a lot of crowd participation in what we do. And uh, I, I mean, I'm just hoping that we don't wind the world champion up. That's that's all I want to do. You know, is interviewing Anand after one of his games. Then you know, I'm just I'm just going to be nervous. I'm going to be careful what I say, Trenty. I mean, I might even have to leave that task to you. You did you did a good job with Magnus last year. Well, I, I think that's that's the thing. I think we just want to. Obviously, we're serious about the games, and we want to analyze to the best of our ability. We want to make sure that it's done properly. But at the same time, it is a fun occasion. We have got the top players there, but we don't want it to be overly serious. I think that's perhaps one of the problems that a lot of these tournaments have had. So by making it a bit more fun, getting them to even laugh about it, that that's something that's really good. And you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I have to admit, there are loads of little side tournaments as well, side events. There are simultaneouses. Uh, we've got people like Victor Korchnoy turning up, John Nunn, who are doing their own commentary. There's just lots of different things about this tournament um, that are so great. And we're going to have a lot of fun in that room. So, guys, and also with Macaulay producing, uh, we're going to have some fantastic videos. So keep your eyes peeled. Go to LondonChessClassic.com. You can see the, all of the, the relevant information. So um, definitely take a look. Carlson says that he's looking to focus more on his tournaments and uh, maintaining his number one position, uh, silencing a lot of the critics of his uh, recent performance in Bilbao and the Olympiad, which were less than stellar by uh, winning again clear in fine style in Nanjing. Uh, to keep that number one spot on the live ratings. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he came in with a completely different approach to Nanjing because uh, the Olympiad is, well, it certainly his opening play was erratic at the very least. Okay, I mean, Magnus wants to show that he can play it all. And I mean, he's got a fantastic array of openings. He can, he can do just about anything, which in my opinion makes him really dangerous for a match situation which is, you know, another thing which confuses me about his decision not to play. But, uh, yeah, he, he turned up in Nanjing, and he was really um, principled in his opening choices. So we saw this uh, Breyer defence in the Lopez. He, he stuck with it with black, and then a mixture of E4 and D4 with the white bits. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was just putting the guys away. It's just really good to see that he can, he can change his approach like that. You know, he's come away from that Olympiad. He must have had a real think about how to get stuck into the next one. He's a tough lad. It's a sign of a champion, isn't it? And because he had a disaster, as you said, at the Olympiad, um, and then he can he can bounce back uh, and win this hugely strong tournament uh, without losing. You know that is the sign of of somebody who's really destined to be at the top for a long time. He didn't crumble. I think he did the double over Topolov, actually, if I remember correctly. I think he beat Dop- Topolov with both white and back, which, um, you know... <laughs> not, not an easy task, but he's, he's done it and done it well. No, a fantastic tournament. Um, and it looks like it, it's probably up there now with Bilbao and maybe I'm, I'm going to include London because I'm, I'm going to be slightly biased, but I, I, those three look like the absolute top tournaments now and from what i saw from the photos and the reports it looked fantastic this tournament so let's spin the globe about 11 time zones and uh, talk about u.s chess and the u.s chess league which wrapped up with a win by the expansion team the new england nor'easters and joining us on the line from brandeis university outside of boston is international master sam shankland board one for the new england nor'easters how are you sam i'm good thank you 
overall, your your season for an expansion team, especially, was very impressive. Uh, what were uh, some of the highlights? Well, okay, obviously, nine and a half out of ten in the regular season is a record-shattering score. Plus, you know, just running through the championship like nobody's business. We actually only yielded two draws to our cross-town rivals, the Boston Blitz. What I think really signified our season was nobody ever got mad at each other for losing. Almost everyone on the team lost a game at some point or didn't perform up to par, but instead of uh, giving each other a hard time over it, we just picked up the pieces and everyone else chipped in. We had a lot of great matches. We played against uh, some New York lineup, which had uh, Kachishvili, Charbonneau, and Crush on boards 1, 2, and 3 against myself and two FIDE Masters, which seemed like it should be a landslide, but... We won that match two and a half to a one and a half, which was, I think, great. And just on the whole, very consistent and solid play throughout the entire season. I don't think there was any one match that was spectacular. I just think the whole time we just played solid chess, and that led us to the championship. Lawrence and Stevie, you want to jump in? Well, I just want to say I'm impressed with this photo on the uh, U.S. Chess League site. But what's the guy at the, the guy at the back? He's spoiling it. He's doing a peace sign, and the rest of you got your phones up. That's Robert Hungaski giving the peace sign. He would be our, I would call him our team MVP. He mostly played board two and uh, board one when I wasn't available, and he made an unbelievable score of seven out of eight. Yeah, I don't know why he's giving the peace sign. Well, it's fair enough. If he's, if he's the MVP, you know, he can do whatever he wants, whatever sign may, he wants. May, maybe he wasn't giving the peace sign. He might just think, well, I'm on seven out of eight, so I'm going to swear at you without you even knowing about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Robert obviously had a great season, and we're we're just happy to have him, even if he doesn't know how to make a thumbs up. <laughs> Good stuff. So, Sam, I saw some uh, footage of you at the uh, U.S. Junior Championship, and they were asking you there yeah. if you were going to turn professional after that, and it seemed as though you were pretty adamant that wasn't going to be the case. So, what's the story with you at the minute? Are you are you playing professional? I am currently not a chess professional. I'm a full time student now. I played professionally last year. And the one thing that I've learned about what role chess should play in my life is that the people I should be talking to it about, no offense to you guys, or, you know, my close friends who know me very well. Well, that's fair enough. No. Putting out, you know, what plan in the future is usually not the best idea. And I, I found that out quite painfully when I lost my temper with a journalist uh, a few months back. All right. Well, congratulations again. And thanks very much for taking the time to talk with us. My pleasure. Uh, glad to be on an English radio show of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> the Full English Breakfast Podcast. Full English Breakfast Podcast, yeah. It's strange that Shankland isn't a GM because, like, this guy's obviously really strong. And, you know, um, Hungaski and Shankland have, you know, put in a massive performance for the team. So, well done to these guys. And, uh, mm. you know, it's, it's been a really impressive performance by their team not to lose all season. Okay, we're into the Zeitnot. So, before we go, I want to talk about two of the weirder stories uh, coming through the news this week. Story out of New York and the New York Post. Some street players in a uh, park uh, in the uppermost part of Manhattan were cited uh, for being there without uh, any minors. There's apparently a, a rule that in this park, you, it, since there's a playground right next to where these guys were playing chess, uh, you can only be there if you're accompanied by a child. <laughs> It's just it's the other way around, yeah. What if do you do? Do you, do you go and steal a kid to have a, to have a game of chess? Well, the rule, as I understand it, is there to try to protect children against pedophiles. So basically, they mm -hmm. only want parents and their children there. But where the chess boards were, these are 
built-in chessboards, you know, yeah. stone tables uh, that is physically separated from the actual playground. Uh, and these guys were there clearly just playing chess. The cops nevertheless showed up and, without giving them a warning, just issued each of them a, a citation so that they have to appear in court uh, uh, sometime in December. Unbelievable. Is that the kind of reputation we've got? You know, if we, if we turn up, get a few chess pieces out, oh, that's a pedophile. To be honest, I'm all for it. I mean, what are they doing playing chess outside anyway? If you want to play chess <laughs> on, a, on a sort of social level, go online. I don't think it deserves to be in parks. Lock them all up. Throw away the key. No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Of course, it's a load of nonsense, isn't it? Uh, if there were genuinely no kids around and they've gone in there like a SWAT team, I've just got envisions of this Snickers advert, Stephen, with the A-team uh, and, uh, you know, where they, they bash through the windows and you know, arresting all of these 40-year-old... <laughs> 40-odd-year-old men. I mean, oh, it's just incredible. Well, adding a bit of irony, at least uh, one of the gentlemen playing chess actually teaches kids at the very same tables other times during the week. Unbelievable. Well, at least they're using taxpayers' money wisely. I mean, at, le- at least they're doing something. <laughs> I-, I say the more chess players you can arrest, the better. Can you imagine how many less nuts there will be in the world with all of these? Well, guys? it is true, to be fair, you know, unfortunately. Myself there's many included. weirdos. Well, yeah, I mean, you're the uh, primary target in what I'm saying, but, you know, for the most part, there's a lot of weirdos in chess, but there's some of, some of the most interesting people I've ever met play chess, you know? Right. Some of the nicest people I've ever met play chess. Oh, yeah. So we've, got, we've definitely got a mix to going on, and it's, it just makes for, you know, more interesting social situations, in my opinion. Well, from street chess to the virtual world, a simul that took place entirely in second life i've got no idea what we are talking about right now it's basically a virtual world steve i don't i don't know much about this but um <laughs> is it a bit like the sims in many ways yeah it, there's a little bit of a sims aesthetic but it was all the rage like two three years ago and now you don't hear so much about Second Life uh, anymore. But back in, you know, back in uh, 2007, 2008, every major political campaign in the U.S. had to have a Second Life campaign office. And there's, you know, virtual economies, books written about these shadow economies. And actually, I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been a, uh, a Second Life simultaneous exhibition at chess uh, before now. But apparently there hasn't. Well, there you go. I-, I think he just, because he, he, he obviously just wanted the world record in simultaneous wins in the virtual world. I, I, I mean, what a title to have. Who wouldn't want that? I mean... Exactly. There you go. I, no. I think he was the cat monster as well. I think he, that was his uh, alias there. No, but I mean, I, I don't really know what this is about. And, and frankly, I don't think really it's going to... If that's what... It, if this is what it, it really ends up being, Steve, can you imagine we're all playing on Second Life and Sims-like... As long as I'm not playing any symbols in the afterlife, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's it. Well, you can check out the photos to see for yourself uh, what a simul in Second Life looks like posted on the FEB.com uh, and also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the FEB. And remember to press that like button, guys, if you do like the show. And if you don't like the show, then like it anyway, because we know deep down it's a love-hate thing. It's a bit like Marmite. So you like it in some indirect ways. And if you enjoy the show also, there's a small donation that you can make now on the FEB website too. So we really appreciate Macaulay putting this together. We hope you enjoy it. So if you do feel in a very appreciative mood, 
please don't hesitate to to drop a small donation. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I have a special prize for anybody who donates any amount between now and episode six. You can get your own autographed limited edition Bilbao Final Masters polo shirt signed by Vladimir Kramnik. Wow! Now that. My friends is an incentive. Wow. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm on here now. I'm on here now, making a donation. That's it. Do Do I win? <laughs> if If us two are the only two making donations now, then it's been a sad event. But I think there'll be some incentive for the listeners then. Well, I think my mom really wants that Kramnik T-shirt. But uh, any amount from one cent to <laughs> well, no, let, let's let's be realistic. We work in sales here, Macaulay. Anything from five bucks upwards, we'll take, guys. Not a problem. Good lad. Well, thanks as always, and I'll see you in London. Cheers, Macaulay. Look forward to the next one in a couple of weeks. See you soon.